to the choir master a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Verse 19. Oh, that you would say the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who you hate, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This magnificent psalm by David and also, David is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel. For this part, first part, I want you to see what scholars say about Psalm 139. We see with this psalm, we see some of the most spirit, significant teaching of God's omniscience and omnipresence in all of Scripture. This psalm speaks of the persuasive presence of God and his intimate knowledge of us which offers us an outside measure of hope and comfort in the face of adversity and trial. David's heartfelt journey with God through the good and bad and challenging and unbelievable remains alive and relatable in this psalm. Charles Spurgeon says on Psalm 139, It sings the omniscience and omnipresence of God, inferring from these the overflow of the power of wickedness. Charles Spurgeon also says, Since he who sees and hears the abominable deeds and words of the rebellious will surely deal with them accordingly. To his justice, who God is allows us to understand who and whose we are. 
Life within the love of Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, changes our hearts forever and continually until we arrive home in heaven. And this last line of this quote is where we get our sermon title for today. It says, the journey of each human heart is unique and purposed and intimately known. We are intimately known by the one true God. Psalm 139 tells us about God. And we find about who God is, this is important, we find out so much about ourselves. When we find about who God is, we find so much more about ourselves. We have to truly see who God is. That may be a dumb question, a dumb statement, but how many of us truly understand who God is? And when we truly understand that, we can understand ourselves so much better. This is what we all struggle with. When we see, when we, because when we see ourselves as loved by the same God who created everything, the same God who's the Almighty, we then will see and be more aligned to be more like Jesus. When we see that we are loved by him. David in this psalm shows us to know our God so that we may ultimately know ourselves better. I want to reiterate that to you, to know ourselves better. John Calvin says, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So understand the knowledge of God and of ourselves. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what comes in your mind. When you think of God, everything in your life is directly influenced by your knowledge of God. The decisions you make, the places you go, the associations you make, what you believe, how you live, is all governed by who you believe God is. That's important. So if, I, if you tell me what you believe in, what you believe, who God is, will tell the direction of your life. Where you, at, where you are at in your life, how you believe in God will tell you exactly where, you, where you're at in your life. Because if you have high thoughts of who God is, you're going to have great worship. You're going to be great when you worship with God. But if you have low thoughts of who God is, what's going to happen? You're not going to have very good worship. You're not going to have very good fellowship. It's not going to happen. Low thoughts of God leads to low living. If you don't think highly of God, your life isn't going great. I'm sorry, it's not. But if you're putting God where he belongs, you're going to have a life of holy living. It's going to be set apart. Guys, it is critical for us to understand who God is. We have to know what God is like. With the proper and right knowledge of God, we see God and are forever close and feel, guess what? We feel known. When we have that relationship with God, we feel known. That's what everybody wants in our society today is to be known. 
Because we have a God who is high and lifted up, sitting on his throne in heaven. And listen, God is both close and near when we have that relationship with him. He is close and near, not distant. A right and proper understanding of who God is is the most important thing us as Christians must know. You may say, why? Because, listen, that relationship, that understanding of who God is, is the key to proper worship. Not just in here, but in your whole life, proper worship. It's key to be holy, to be set apart. We have to have that relationship with God. It's key in our evangelism. If we don't understand who God is, how are we going to evangelize? It's key in our ministries as a church. If our understanding of who God is is not the most important thing in our ministries, how are we going to have ministry? Listen, it affects everything. Every aspect of our life. As Christians, it affects it. Stephen Lawson says this. It says, we have to have God right, and we can't be wrong. We have to have God right, and we cannot be wrong. We can't. Today, we're going to look at five distinct and wonderful characteristics of our intimate and personal God. Verses 1 through 6 tells us God knows us intimately. Now, I'm hoping I get all these right today. There's some big words that I'm going to use today. I hope I get them all right. So, so bear with me. The first one we're going to see is we have an omniscient God. You may say, what does omniscient mean? Omniscient means all-knowing. He knows everything. I was talking to Zoe about this yesterday. This is the only time that we can call somebody a know-it-all, and he's actually a know-it-all. God knows it all. And I love this. We're going to hit this point, every point that we make today. It is not just that God knows everything. That's cool. That's awesome. But guess what? He knows me. He knows you. That is awesome. He knows you. He knows me. A God that knows everything, but he chose to know me, to know you. In verse 1 through 6, I want you to look at and take note of these powerful verb actions and specifically the word you. We see in verse 1, you have searched and known. Verse 2, you know, you discern. Verse 3, you search, you acquainted. Verse 3, verse 4, you know altogether. And verse 4, and verse 5, you him. Those are powerful verb actions that I want you to see going forward as we go through this. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows every single thing that I am. He knows that. God knew David perfectly. He knows us perfectly. But he also knows us personally, intimately. He knows everything. He knows our character. He knows us inside out. You can't hide that. 
How many people truly know your character, know you inside and out? How many people know that about yourself? Not many, but God does. He has all knowledge of every single one of our souls in there. All knowledge. He knew what David, what made him tick. He knew what David struggled with. He knew what he was good at. He knew what he's bad at. He knew the ins and outs of David. And the same goes for us. We see that word searched. Think back to Joshua and Caleb. They were, they were sent out to search the promised land. To look at it. See what it was there. Search it out. When God searches me and explores me, again, there's nothing that he doesn't know about me. There's nothing that he doesn't know about you. He searches out and he knows. Verse 2 says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. We've seen so far God knows me. But God also knows everything that we do. Everything that I do. When I sit down in the chair, he knows. When I go lay down in my bed, he knows. Not just that, but every activity in between, that when you sit down and when you go to bed, he knows all of it. He knew all the activities of David. He knew exactly what David did wrong. He knew where he fell short. He knows the same with us. So when I get up for work and go to work and then I come home and go to bed, he knows every action in between. He reads our mind like an open book. Now, others may see you every day and know your routine. They know what you do on a daily basis. Um, it could be your family, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, whatever. They may see what you do. But listen, God penetrates to the deepest part of me, deepest part of you, to see what you have been doing. He knows it. And only he knows. He's like this cool x-ray vision stuff that he has. He can see right through you when nobody else can. Verse 3, it says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Um, this is like someone who sifts through something, sifts through something, sifting through the, all the, the junk in your garage. You're trying to find that one thing that you've been looking for forever. You're sifting through all the junk. You're trying to find that treasure, something that was hidden. God sifts through us. Sifts out what I've done bad, what I've done good. He sifts it all out. He knows the, the worldly stuff that you do. He knows the godly stuff that you do. He knows the spiritual stuff you do, and he does the stuff that's not so spiritual. He knows that. Every single detail he knows. When it says, when we lie down, that emphasizes your private life. He knows what's in your private life. When we see the word path, it sees your public life. He knows your public life. When we lie down, he, it represents the night. When we see the path, it represents the day. When we see lying down, it represents rest. When we see path, it represents work. 
So whether you're awake or asleep, every motion of your life, God knows. Every single motion. Now, a lot of people are scared of that. They don't like that, that God knows everything that you do. But it is so encouraging to know that we have a God who knows everything that we do. Every action he knows. That shows us how much he loves us. Then we see in verse 4 that God knows everything I say. That's a scary one. God knows everything I say. But what's even cooler, God knows what we're going to say even before we say it. He knows the words that we are going to say. The idea of this and God's intimate knowledge of me, again, is so, so cool to understand that he knows me. He knows the words I'm going to say before I say it. In verse 5, God supplies exactly what and everything that I need. In our country, that, that, that isn't always the case that we, don't, we feel that we don't get everything that we need. But God gives us nothing less and nothing too much, but exactly what we need. I struggle with this. I feel I need more. I need more money. I need this or that. I need a better car. I need this or that. But God has provided exactly what I need. In verse 6, he tells us that this knowledge is too wonderful. Nothing catches God off surprise. Nothing catches him off surprise. He doesn't get surprised by anything. He has never caught off guard. It's not like, oh, I'm going to catch God off guard today. It doesn't work that way. This is cool. He never has to learn anything about me and you. When you meet new people, you have to understand and learn things about that person. But God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to learn anything about you. He knows you. Love this quote. I love this quote as well. It says, one who knows you the best loves you the most. He never discovers anything new about you. No creature and nobody knows me more personally than God. Not your mama, not your spouse, not your kids. Nobody knows you better than God. Because guess what? He, one who knows you the best loves you the most. He loves you more than anybody else. He sees you, he sees into you, and he sees through you. So guys, we can't cover up anything. We can't hide anything from God. How many of you have actually thought about this, and I'm guilty of this, that I'm going to hide what I did, what I sinned against God, I'm going to hide it? How many of you thought you could actually do that? I've been there. Oh, I'm not going to tell God that I did this. I'm going to try to hide it. But we can't cover up or hide anything. He already knows. Even though that we fall short every day, even though we sin against God over and over again every day, every single day we wake up, we're going to sin, guess what? He still loves you. If we confess our sins to him, he will cover it with his grace. That's our God. And we see our next point. Um, 
verses 7 through 12. God is always with me. Our God is an omnipresent God. Omnipresent equals everywhere, always with us. So God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. But not only is God everywhere, He is everywhere with me. He is everywhere with you. We see in this section, David gives us two rhetorical questions. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? The simple answer is nowhere. Look at verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So we see this picture. If we are in heaven, which we, the Bible tells us that when we are, we see in the Bible, we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, where Jesus is up on his throne and in his sovereignty is reigning in majesty. If we are there, guess what? God is there. The next thing we see is Sheol. Sheol in Hebrew is a euphemism for the grave and death. So when we die and are in the grave, your body is there. Your, your spirit, if you're a Christian, is with God in eternity. But guess what? God is there too. The third thing we see is the wings of the morning. The sun rises in the east. If I could, by the speed of light, travel all the way to China, guess what? God is there. Next thing we see is the sea. When we talk about the sea, we're talking about the Mediterranean Sea. Guess what? If we're there, he is there. No matter where I go, I want you to see this. We have heaven, which is north. Sheol is south. The wings of the morning are east, and the sea is the west. What is everything represented? It's the compass. No matter if I go north, south, east, or west, guess what? God is there. Listen, if I'm in Russia, guess what? God is there. In Africa, God is there. In Asia, God is there. Even in our mess of a country today in the United States, guess what? God is here. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fiery furnace, guess what? God was there. When David was being hunted by Saul, guess what? God was there. When David's son Absalom was trying to kill him, guess what? God was there. Verse 10, we see the word even there. You know what that word even there means? Anywhere. When you are feeling lonely and by yourself, God is there. When you feel like the world is crashing in on you, guess what? God is there. These past couple weeks, I've been there. I felt like the world is crashing in on me, but guess what? God is there. These last two weeks have been horrible with all the mess going on with COVID. Um, an employer of mine got shot in the head. Um, all these things going through your mind, like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get through this? But God is there. 
Again, when you feel like you can't take all the madness in, in our COVID world that we're living in now, the, the madness and the craziness that's going on with it, the new normal, God is there. When we see even there, that means he is anywhere, anywhere we are, God is there. God is everywhere that we go. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, He will not leave you or forsake you. We are never out of the reach of God. No matter where you go, you're never out of the reach of God. Verse 11 talks about the darkness. We think about darkness. We think about trying times. We see represents trying times, th- trying times in David's life. All things David went through. All the things that we go through. When you feel like your souls are dark, when you feel you can't see a way out, and you don't know how you're going to get out of the situation, you're in a dark spot. And in this time, it is the most important time that we need to be led the most. When it's dark, when things are going bad, that's when we need to be led by God. But verse 12, but the thing is, even in the darkness, it's not too dark for God. It's not. Whatever situation that you're in is not too dark for God. Listen to this. Darkness cannot hide from God's presence. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness can't outshine the light. It can't. When times are going great, when times are going great, you think everything is going great, awesome, your life's going great, God is there. But again, when things are bad, when the bad seasons come, when you get tragic news that you don't want to hear, God is there. In success or failure, God is there. In trial or triumph, God is there. He sees and knows where we are. At every minute of the day, he knows. Listen, he makes a way when there is no way. He makes a way for us. When it feels like there's no way there's a way, he makes a way for us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there are times in my life when I feel like I'm all alone. If I'm being honest, as I stand here in front of you guys today, wherever many people are here, I feel alone. That's just my personality. I feel alone. You may feel the same way that you can't you do everything by yourself. You're in it by yourself. In your trials, you're by yourself. When things go bad, you're by yourself. But John Knox says, a man with God is always in the majority. Think of all the tragedies and low points of David. It was David plus God. So God plus one, God plus me, God plus you equals a majority. I may feel lonely as I'll get up, but as I stand up here and just stay scared to death as I always am, God is with me because he is leading me. He is with me. He knows me. He knows, gives me exact words to say. When we go to work, we are not alone. When we go to school, we are not alone. When we go to whatever job it is, we are not alone. God is with us. 
Third point, we see God made me uniquely, verses 13 through 18. Now, these are where the words are getting a little bit harder for me, so bear with me. We have an omnipotent God. What is omnipotent means all-powerful to do all things and to create out of nothing. And not just that God created everything. That's awesome. That's great. But God created me and you. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed, man, a prophet to the nations. So God saw us and loved us before he even made us. He saw us and loved us before we were even made. Thing is, and he loves us also as he made us. We see with omnipotence of God, he knitted us together in the dark, in the secret place. And when we see that, we're talking about our mother's womb. No one can see in there except God. We can't see how the baby is forming, how the baby is growing. It is in a secret place. But look in verses 13, 13 through 15. David wants us to see that God cares about our beginning. He cares about our beginning. He, he cares about when we are being made. He cares about that. But he also wants us to see that in verse 16 through 18, he cares about our future. The Lord formed our inward parts. You see that? That literally translated in Hebrew is kidneys. Meaning that our vital organs that make us go. He formed our heart, our kidneys, all these things that we need. He made them. He planted those in us. Many scholars believe symbolically this shows us that he formed our personalities. He formed all the cool people who are introverts. I'm the only introvert in here, I guess. Uh, he, our temperaments and our emotional stuff. He created that. This shows us symbolically that he made that. He made our personalities. All of our emotional stuff. He wove us. He knit us together. Listen, God wired me and you exactly the way he wanted us to. Wanted to. He wired us to how we are supposed to be. Not just that, but I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And so were you. He made my bones. He made my frame. In my mother's womb, he made it. In the secret place, he took something out of nothing and made it. He created it. Even our veins, our arteries, our tendons were put together and wonderfully made by God. You exactly knew how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing to something. That's what God did with us. Then we see from verse 16, God makes all the days of our lives. They were written in his book. How awesome is that? That our days, all of our days, how we're going to live is written in the book of God. Every day in which we are going to live, not just the days that we're going to live, but the actual events that are going to happen on those days. He had them planned out perfectly. 
Nobody sees this plan. Nobody knows the plan but God. Listen, you don't live any number of days longer than you're supposed to or shorter than you're supposed to. You live exactly the days that God has ordained you to live. Not shorter, not longer, but exactly what God ordained us to live. God, it was God's sovereign choice on how long we live. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you. So God knows exactly how long we are to live in order to fulfill his will in our life. He knows exactly how long we are to live. You've heard it says the devil is in the details. But the devil is not in the details, but God is. Then we see in verse 17, David takes a break and says how great and awesome his God is and our God is. David took the time to praise God. This wasn't a dream that David was living in, that God loved him so much that he searched him and knew him. But it was real. We move to our fourth point, verses 19 through 24. We are made by an omnicompetent God. Omnicompetent God is a God able to judge or deal with all matters. Listen, we have a great God who is a good God, who is a just God, and a righteous God. That's who our God is. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. Nothing is beyond his presence or power. He is an omnicompetent God. Now, in this section, it, it was a little difficult and some translations don't even have it, but we're going to look at it anyways. It says, in this section, we have a contrast between David's enemies, verse 22, and those who seek God, verses 23 through 24. We also have what is called an impregatory prayer in this little section, meaning a prayer that calls on God to judge the wicked who do great evils. That's what an impregatory prayer is. So David asked God to slay the wicked. And at the same time, he pleads with the Lord to search his own heart. Now, I don't have to sit up here and explain to you the world that we live in. The nastiness and the depravity that is in our world. There are people out there who hate God. They're enemies of God. They're out there. David asked the Lord to take care of that. Not him. It's not vengeance for David. David isn't getting vengeance. God does. But we see he says that. But then what does he say? He says, that search me in my own heart. The nastiness and depravity in his own heart, in our hearts. The difference is, apart from God's grace, that's what makes us different. As we live in this godless age, there's enough going on to just, we can't just say God loves you and give him a smile and that's it. That's not going to fix the problem. The only thing that is going to fix the problem with our society and our world is to we have to align with God. That's what we have to do. We live in a broken world, and the only thing that's going to fix it is the gospel. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to change people's hearts, and that is the gospel. Last point. God searches us intimately, verses 23 and 24. Now, David didn't want to have a wedge between him and God. He didn't want there to be a th- things that he wanted things bad between him and God. He didn't want a wedge there. He says, search me and know me. 
But he already told us that in verse 1 and 2, that God searched him and knew him. Why would he say that again? David wanted God to bring to the surface what he sees in him that David doesn't see. There are things in our heart that we don't think is there. But again, God knows all the bad stuff that is hidden deep down in our hearts. David is asking God to bring that to the surface so that he can repent and confess them to God. So he can be right, so he can be aligned with God. David says, show me where my attitudes and priorities are out of whack. The same goes for us. Show us where our priorities, our worship to you is out of whack, our attitudes. Show us. And with that, we have to bring that to God. Bring that to, to the throne of grace. Bring them to God and ask for forgiveness. David did this. He said, test me. Show me where I've screwed up. Show me where I've done bad. Tell me what I need to do. Look at verse 24. It says, And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's an encouraging verse, verse 24. We have seen that God knows us. We see that he is with us, that he made us. He ordains our days. He defends us. He searches us. And again, he knows us. Listen, our God is with us and for us. He will never leave you or forsake you. As I ask the band to come up, Christians, I want to talk to you for a minute. Will you be like David and ask God to search you and search your heart and bring forth to the surface the deepest, darkest things that we don't want out, that we don't want other people to know? Because we all have it. We all have stuff in our heart that we don't want anybody to know. It's deep down in there. We're struggling with it. We are burdened by it. We are bitter by it. Will you bring that to God? Bring it to God. Repent of it. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of the things that you have fallen short because we all fall short. And for you out there who are a skeptic, Someone who doesn't know Jesus. I want you to know this, and this is important. If you feel like you're by yourself, and that God can't know you or love you, you're wrong. Listen to me, God knows you. He knows you just as much as the Christian sitting in this room. He knows you just as much. He does, and he loves you. He gives you a way, and there's only one way to have a relationship with God. Where you can have a relationship with God when you are never alone. No matter what you are, or what you've done, or where you are, when you have that relationship with God, you are never alone. 
You can have that through Jesus. Come to him. Repent of your sins. Ask God to be merciful to you. Just like in verse 10, it says, we see that he will take you by the hand and lead you to the Father. He will lead you to the Father to have eternal life through him. You will have a relationship with this God who knows you and loves you forever. As I close, remember this. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by an awesome God. He knows me, he is with me, and he made me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God who chose to know me, 